0: Welcome to Mecha Nations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast of all things mecha. I'm one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox, and Keeton has always been the guy who will charge down an alley with a shotgun at a mech if it will help.
1: I'm Steven Hero. Sorry, it took a long time to find a sitter for the kids. I'm PMC
2: Trilogy, and if McDonald's has the golden arches, does Whack Donald's have the golden lurches? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, have we deployed? Are we are we on the, the catapult?
2: We are, we are automatically deploying. Please press the middle mouse button. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Who do you think
0: you are? Yeah, who do you um, think you are? Welcome to this episode of Mechanations. We are, we are still floating in space, separate from each other, at least six feet. Yeah. Uh, I'm Ignis Matic. Our souls how is are how reaching
1: out in space, though.
0: That's true that's true
2: yeah no PMC Trilogy here I, I embody the soul of outer space it's what I'm all about
0: <laughs> oh man I can't wait to get back to that that's gonna be a lot of fun just when I get chill. back to that hey um uh, a uh, Steven Hero uh, Picard ended mm-hmm. uh, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share before we w- while we start off
1: this Marin yeah um let's see overall I liked it speaking of the season in general I've actually just started watching Discovery so I've been dealing with a lot of Bad Trek opinions by Uh-oh. so now I'm like jumping into what jumping in to seeing what the internet thinks about Trek and there's a lot of like of yeah I don't know community gatekeeping overall. Mm-hmm. But with Picard, I am we talked about this a bit over Discord, but I'd be warming definitely to the secondary cast of characters, really the primary cast of characters outside of Picard, and I really think that the Picard season finale nails a lot of significant character beats which is great and it it really does put the show on a great precipice going forward where i'm curious what is going to happen to these guys next i think that's the one of its greatest strengths
0: yeah i completely agree i you know the the, this is one you know i'm i'm I'm, uh i'm the shout outs to you tv writers those media guys who have to write in and gals who have to write in reaction to shows because like it must be tough. It must be tough to be able to have like the angle that appeals to you personally to sit there and be like, "Oh yes, this show really failed to deliver on the plot level, but on the characters, it was it was firing on all cylinders." I, I mean, some people do do that, but I I wondered about that when you have to boil down your score to like four stars or like uh-huh. ten, six out of ten. Do you know what I mean? Like a three out and, of five. And, and, uh, yeah, this is true for, for games as well. This is why I, I don't like numbers. 7.7 means nothing cl- classically, you know, necessarily. But uh, with Picard, it really is, like, not a good plot. Oh, you know? it's I don't wanna... as fuck.
1: And it's cast such a wide net for as many references as possible.
0: It well, so, so for me, I don't even think that's necessarily the problem as much as it's just... Uh, I mean, it, it really set itself a, a big old goal of being like, what if there were, uh, like, a, a android Cthulhu's, right, in space? And, and what if they showed up? And that would be bad, right? Um, But it, the problem with that is that it, there's just so much it opens up for if you're someone who's, like, stuck on that idea, right? Because there are so many Star Trekky things that that interacts with, right? Because, you know, there are a bunch of people in the audience whose immediate first thought was like, what about like a like Q? You know what I mean? Like th- this seems like a Q thing, right? And and for that to not come up at all is like like I personally don't care. I understand the story's not about that, right? This is that thing I was talking about in in our previous episodes where it's like these the the downside of these huge connected universes is that they can't be about everything that's been established, right? It, it can't be about you know, this is why I don't necessarily like the scenes in Rogue One where Darth Vader shows up because, you know, it, it's, those scenes are shot in ways that only make sense in, in, in like, our universe where Darth Vader is this, like, media character mm-hmm. and not, like, necessarily the themes that he represents. Does that make sense? Definitely. I, I'm not trying to hate on people who enjoy that stuff necessarily because, like, on one hand, there's a part of me that understands the the need to, like, see darth vader actually do the shit he's supposed to be like scary for because he was shot at a time where it was like an awkward very tall british man in a costume and uh you know they had some like shiny swords that they were kind of awkwardly shuffling towards each other with and so i get it you, as a sci-fi person you want to see darth vader do cool stuff in the same sort of way that it was awesome to see seven do anything mm-hmm. in picard you know what i mean um but on the other hand, there's a lot of good character stuff. There's crying, a lot of crying and hugging, and if you're someone for who's there for that, for performances that are and and character beats that are executed, you know, it's it's schmaltzy and manipulative. But I think it it, it accomplishes what it wanted to character wise.
1: Yeah, when Eleanor broke down in tears, like Ignis is going to love this. I liked it too. but yeah, this is it, a very Ignis moment.
0: Yeah, then it was it was good. It was good it's just the plot is bad it's it's mass effect 3 exactly mass effect 3 in a way that's an enormous bummer um uh mostly because like it feels like it feels like star trek has answered this question already <laughs> that was you know in a way that was, was kind of frustrating to me about the premise when it started was like oh the fact that we're starting this with with synthetic life band feels like the opposite of the conclusion they reached in measure of a man mm-hmm. which was like season two right but, like, again, these stories can't be about everything, right? Like, they can't be about, like, you know. And, and also, the people who end up writing them are, are are not necessarily the sorts of people who have the means to include encyclopedic every single. Not necessarily that they're not fans. That's not what I'm saying. As much as it's, like, the needs of producing this kind of show outweigh the the needs of (sighs) making ignis specifically happy you know what i mean like that that's 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 fair it's just also i don't think they accomplished making like a i think people who who were thinking about what a star trek picard show would be like expected it to be like a heady cerebral and philosophical sort of plot and this is much more on the like a Will Smith in iRobot side of things. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: without a doubt. The biggest sin of Picard is, right now as of season one, for me at least as a viewer, it lacks its own identity. If I think back to previous Trek series, Next Gen, well, only series I've experienced with, so Next Gen, Voyager, the original series, there's a distinct, like, I don't know, mood or feel for the show, which I feel like Picard really hasn't grown into yet. But remember, it's only the first season of what will probably be like a three-series show. So it definitely has room for growth.
0: Speaking of like uh, the individual feel of a Star Trek series, PMC Trilogy, would you agree that that is a thing that is true? And and if so, what would you describe DS9's feel to be now that you have finished Deep Space Nine?
2: It's true. I just finished Deep Space Nine this weekend, and I think it's definitely something I agree with. So the major two Star Trek shows that I'm familiar with are uh, TNG and Deep Space Nine. Uh, and I think remember a while back, I would I would sort of compare the outcomes of DS nine episodes with the outcomes of TNG episodes, where I think in in DS nine it was it's less the case that you're necessarily going to get a a happy result or you know necessarily a necessary result that you're joyful about or exuberant or that cleanly solves everything or that you're even going to get to the bottom of things in terms of you know coming oh it was just you know this or that or or even if you do know that it is just that kind of alien maybe that doesn't actually solve the issue for you you know even if you know that the the prophets are wormhole aliens does that actually change how you interact with them at all really uh and Mm. so i i think that's you know that's sort of um i think acceptance is a part of ds9 in a way that it was never really a part of tng um which which is which is interesting, and, and you know certainly a, a sober acceptance I, to me, I feel like one of the most striking parts of the end of Deep Space Nine was uh, you know after a major sort of action beat has resolved, uh, there's one character who wants to celebrate really badly, but the his his fellow leaders uh, just pour their drinks out and walk away, and I feel like that's like a very sort of uh you know sort of striking moment, not not an unsurprising <laughs> one, but one that's definitely I think a part of um, a part of the mood of Deep Space Nine.
0: Yeah, uh I remember the scene you're talking about. Uh, you know, r- r- Rip Rip Mart talk but I'm different. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. It, you know, uh there I definitely had mixed uh I think in the same way that that Picard is when it ended, it kind of left me like, well, I can tell intellectually that this wasn't good, but I I liked it. <laughs> um, I feel the same way about the literal ass ending of deep space nine not to say the end of the dominion war which i think is great the dominion war i think ends well i think the conclusion to that is good um i i was very confused about who was ill uh you were telling a story about your 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 viewing experience and uh uh, someone reacted to someone who was ill with an ew and I was like, "Wait, who's in the final finale?" And then I was like, "Oh yes, that's right, that's right." I remember the the flaky the change leader is is not doing well. Well, actually, no, it was uh, it was
2: several episodes earlier in the finale sequence. So it was actually uh, it was actually our our other changeling friend who was flaky at that point.
0: Oh, okay, excellent. Okay, well, so um, another thing I wanted to ask you about. In, in the midst of this there is a, a what is it a nine part seven part sequence to the finale
2: Yeah it's a nine part <laughs> sequence and then the ninth part itself is a two-parter okay so oh so like okay. 10 episodes of content 10 40 minute episodes um, so there is a sort of a pseudo fake out where
0: they, they begin to suggest at some point that the the series in its entirety is something that it's not uh, uh, do you know the se- the sequence we're talking about? uh specifically with cisco
2: oh wait the when they they when he thinks he's benny
0: and he's writing in the 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 uh uh the the the, the like sanatorium room that he's in i thought that a, was,
2: a, isn't that from the beginning of the season or did they reference that again at the end Oh, so
0: that thing at the beginning of the season was something that they were uh, intending to have as the finale. Like, that was their original plan, was the idea, to the follow-up off of what they introduced mm-hmm. in Far Beyond the Stars. Right, right. Which was, I think, more powerful due to its ambigu- ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And they decided, it, you know, upon finishing that sort of writer's room meeting, is like, well... Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's let's not do the Star Ocean three. You know, yeah, we'll yeah. we'll introduce it as a fucking Pa Wraith yeah shenanigans. Right, it's a Wraith gambit. Yeah, is that how you'd feel about it though? Would you also feel like oh uh, this is this was not the way to go? This was too Battlestar Galactica of them. Uh, uh, that's basically what I was going to ask. Like, how would you feel if it turned out to be Benny uh, and Deep Space Nine is in fact the the uh, instruction of of Benny from Far Beyond the Stars?
2: Hmm, I don't know. I. I... I I think I am I am maybe hopeful or confident that in this context it would be more interesting a revelation than because I mean part of the part of the thing that I think the reason why it's frowned upon is because you know so often it just it's like a surprise twist you know and it's just sort of a surprise right. twist that doesn't integrate into the story or you know I mean some people might say like it sort of renders the action meaningless or something like that I, I, I don't think that's always the case but. Um, but I, I think my my hope would be that it would be rendered in such a way to to make it meaningful because I think then you know, you would have critical reads of applying allegory and things like that and you know in terms of this writer from this time period writing a, a story like DS Nine being the you know the sort of what's going on so I feel like it's the sort of thing where you could still um, you know enjoy it and 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 you know find something in it. I'll, you know, I probably prefer that they they didn't, but I feel like it would be certainly more digestible than it would be, you know, for maybe Star Ocean three.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think uh, I I have a hard time imagining anyone finding commercial success doing something like this. I, I think it's the sort of thing that I, I, like a, a novelist could probably do, and 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 you do find in literature, you know, where. Like I've talked about Jorge Luis Borges before on this podcast, but a lot of what he does in his work is about making textual references that are are completely correct, but to works of fiction or or the works taking place and referencing real events that are slightly exaggerated in certain ways in order to create a, a sense of exaggerated realism or, or magical realism is the is the the uh the i don't want to say genre but like most of his works are are magical uh, uh Stephen hero you can interrupt me if i'm cor- incorrect about any of this i think i'm on the money though no, you are regarding borges um uh but that sort of thing can work it's just that Hmm. Uh, when it comes to like a, a a a serial television show that was on weekly, like Deep Space Nine was, I can understand that sort of investment and that revelation feeling like uh, it was all a dream, and that feeling like hacky, right? Um, I just think in in reflection, I, I just also don't like the idea of it riding piggyback off of the very very good Far Beyond the Stars, which works best as a singular piece, right? Yeah, like, for sure um outside of that i don't i'm i'm uh i'm still playing doom um it's fun uh you know it's not like um i'm a little bit surprised that, that the we talked before about the critical reception of doom eternal and and the the two major like critical takes the rob zachney and uh uh the the kermit kermit of, of it uh of it all um I don't know. It feels funny to me that that's where they land. It, it feels very like I don't know the the amount that you can digest tongue and cheekness that is uh uh like definitely intentional is like and how much you can forgive it for like oh no this is fine because we're tongue in cheek is is definitely like your mileage may vary but I'm I'm definitely surprised that. Like the harshest critique that someone could come up with is like we someone made uh brutal legend but but take it took it seriously is like that is exactly what they did <laughs> like I don't know it's very strange but it's fine it's good that those pieces exist though right because it it's uh, it it's not something I disagree with as much as it's just I didn't find it like like uh you know soul shattering the other thing I should say is that I'm playing this on like. Um, uh, not the easiest, but an easier difficulty because I I don't hate myself. <laughs> it was like this is I think the way to play something like this. So like I, I played this in a lot of the same vein that I played. Um, you know I, I talked about how Doom is exactly the flavor I need first person shooters to be in in order to engage. Wolfenstein is kind of also in that category, and and I played that much the same way where I was like I don't really know how much of this I want to have like resistance. Does that make sense? Mm, absolutely. Like, like these these should be a little bit more like like with, with a with a, a Bioshock or a system shock sort of game. You you kind of want that chewiness there because it has a system you're interacting with. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When when the complexity of the system is is the, the the different mechanics of the guns that you're interacting with. I, I don't know how much I care to really have a, a ton of resistance or texture there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if that's just I'm definitely not a first-person shooter person, so that's just where I'm at. Like, you know, you can give me anime fighters all day long. Like, I- I'm I'm per- perfectly fine with that. But, but with first-person shooters, like, I-, I definitely didn't connect with this sort of mechanic in the way that people who are probably, like, Quake, old people can probably connect to first-person shooters if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and I think there's you know there's throughput to other ones there too. Like you know any of, the sort of those first-person shooters where the variety of weapons is really your major thing. Uh, you know, your your UTs. I would even extend it to Halo, which you know I mean a lot of people Halo and UT in a different place just because of pacing. But I think in terms of the major variety being the weapons, they're you know, they are similar.
0: Yeah, I think the for me the the major like splitting like, if I had to pick something that is preventing my ability to sort of, like, really get on board with this genre is that, like, my preference is to play console versions of first-person shooters. Like, my my comfort zone with the first-person shooter is a controller, and, like, that's inferior. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, I don't want to be, like, it just is worse than a mouse and keyboard. I know there are people who are, like, I'm sure there are super pros who can who can play as good on a on a control. I'm sure they exist, right? Because I don't want to say sit here and be like always a mouse and keyboard are better. But I bet you most of the time, like probably right am i wrong you you guys can i i don't know i mean yeah, it, i feel MC. like if i knew more
2: about uh fps high level play i could i could comment on that but yeah, I, let's get I, I think the answer is yes but also like you know of course there are games in which there is only uh you know for, or for a long time there was only pad play you know halo or something right. like
1: that yeah first person shooters really is not my wheelhouse so i'm not certainly one to correct you on that
0: Right. I mean, that's mostly, when I when I think of Halo, that's kind of why. Like, I, I remember, like, the one of the only first-person shooters I found even a modicum of success. And, like, you know, like, it, both of you can attest to this. Like, I definitely was not one of the, the stronger players in our friend group when it comes to that. But, like, was was Halo, and it was because it was a console shooter, right? Like, there, there's, those physics make sense to me. Like, I, I didn't even know about uh camera sensitivity until that was stuff that was being manipulated at halo lands right mm-hmm. you know in order to get your like the right feel mm-hmm. to it and, yeah. and that's the sort of like uh framework i'm working with which is why like doom eternal is kind of fine um it's fine it's, it's fine
2: yeah you know what you know what video game took me for a loop this week Sh- uh marvel's the capcom 2 shadow hearts covenant oh yeah that's right uh, <laughs> this this week we went to russia Nineteen eighteen Russia, nothing bad about to happen. Where, oh, no. <laughs> where our newest party member is Princess Anastasia? Uh, oh no! She joined our party. And, <laughs> oh boy! And she, her her weapon of choice for physically attacking enemies is a Faberge. Getting egg. shot
0: in the head? Oh, <laughs> say again, wow, i'm Sorry, was grim.
2: <laughs> yeah. it was a Faberge egg. Is what she uses to attack enemies. She just close. throws it at them. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I was close. Oh no. I'm sorry, PMC. (laughs) Um, So yeah, what's interesting is that she's actually like the Blue Mage character because she has a magic camera that takes pictures of enemies, and sometimes you get blue magic abilities. Oh, I should look up this stream
0: and show my partner. She sounds like she'd be super into all this stuff. Yeah,
2: it's pretty well. And also, it seems like our major antagonist is Rasputin.
0: Oh, fuck. Poor Rasputin, man. (laughs) That I knew about the game.
2: (laughs) So... this fucking uh, dude yeah that's where we are right now with this shit
0: if if i wasn't about to start trails of cold steel one i definitely would be checking out shadow hearts covenant because this game is is definitely it seems like one that i i unfortunately overlooked due to a a uh 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 i don't know alignment that maybe is unfair
2: for it (laughs) right yeah (laughs) Uh, besides that, I'm still. I uh, did do one uh, complete back-to-back run of Armored Core, Armored Core Project Saw. Phantasma, and Armored Core Master Arena. My goal was sub two, and I came in at like two oh one. That was the first try, of course. So uh, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to uh, knock that out. Uh, maybe my next attempt, and then. But April is full of uh, full speed so I'll have to be doing some some marathon prep uh, here and there. Armored Core will be making its way to a few marathons. Uh, so that should be fun to to show off Armored Core speedrunning to an audience online. Of course, these are all these are all online marathons. Several of them were already planned for April, but as you can imagine, in the year of our Lord 2020, uh, several of them have sprung up uh, as sort of you know emergency stopgap marathons. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Well,
0: that's great though. That means you're going to be busy. Yep. You got stuff yep. to do. You're going to be reporting back to us. You're going to be. Uh, uh, I can see the, the tall geese uh verniers growing out of your back already. They're quite fierce. Uh, shout outs.
2: <laughs> White, White Fang Unite. Was that is that the name of the terrorist group, White Fang? Is that
0: uh well we'll find out we'll when find we out, return. Right?
1: Late, yeah, maybe absolutely. later this year.
2: Yeah. Maybe Stephen Hero will tell us about it.
1: Yeah. When Stephen
0: Hero becomes a Gundam Wing expert in our podcast. Isn't that right, Stephen? I have to do so
1: much revisiting of that show.
0: Oh man. You could just listen to our podcast, our wonderful podcast, where we make amazing jokes about Gundam Wing. True, including An our, our most popular piece. episode. The what is it? The fucking bone breaking machine. No, the
2: fucking heart attack machine is our most popular episode. Still? Yeah, still? It broke, it, it broke, Yeah, it's it's still like twenty twenty uh, plays or whatever ahead of anything else. So incredible. Yeah. All
0: right. So with that, maybe we should we should make a new most popular episode. It'll definitely be this one, definitely right? With this, with one. this series.
2: 100%. <laughs> this series of episodes in Garin Lagon. We're going to come up with a joke that's also like the perfect search engine optimization. That's
0: right. But yeah, by any means, we will search engine optimize. Yes. This is what we'll do. <laughs> First of all, it was crazy to make Bo
2: Simon's defense attorney.
0: I guess with that, then we can we can go ahead. How do you boys feel about transitioning into well, our conversation about the episodes this week? Go do it. For it.
2: Any means necessary.
0: All right, let's go. We're going to we're going gonna, gonna to turn on my cord drill, ready? Ooh. Uh, Ow! Yeah, exactly. All right. So that brings us directly into the enormous face of episode 19. We will survive by any means necessary. The seriousness of the citizenry... Re- the, <laughs> the seriousness of the citizenry's unrest... Citizenry? Why can't I fucking say citizenry? Is it because I, I am fucking cynical about the citizenry in this show? Because I feel like they're hyperbolic about how bad people would be in this sort of situation? Anyway... Well, they have no the eyes, okay. They also don't have any eyes. The seriousness of the citizenry's unrest is laid bare for us to see, as riots in the streets calling for Simone's head continue... Roshiu does what he believes is necessary for the survival of the human race, up to and including purposefully putting space between himself and his friend, Simone, with cruelty. Simone is sentenced in a kangaroo court, though one that may be necessary to calm things down with how serious things have become. Nia interrupts a courtroom, basically to say niner niner, and suddenly, a huge burst of Mugan attack Littner Village, where Dayaka, Yoko, and Liron are originally from. Simone volunteers to take the Gurren Lagon to fight him off, even suggesting just fucking wiring a bomb to him to make sure he returns. Keenan, in what I assume is meant to be some sort of emotional burden to take some emotional burden off of Roshiu, in the exact way he probably deserves, is part of the bomb as some sort of emotional ransom for Simone. Meanwhile, Roshiu reveals his plan for the future of the human race. A giant spaceship hidden by Lord Genome, he is dubbed the Ark Gurren. Simone is victorious, but surrenders the Gurn Lagon for scrapping and lets himself be brought to jail. Keaton tries to confront Roshiyu, who effortlessly deflects the verbal and physical arguments, thanks to Keaton's support. Uh, Simone finds himself in prison with his new roommate, Varal. It's yeah, his roommate. That's that's what you have in prison, his roommate. That's exactly right. How quaint. Alright, episode 19. Um Right off the bat, I I wanted to make a comparison. Uh, do you guys feel like we we have uh, sh- uh, been slung directly back into the grief arc, sort of? Uh, we haven't really we haven't really been mourning a character, but I feel like if, if there's mourning to be had, first off, I want to congratulate the show in general. Before we jump into uh, nineteen specifically, I think there is an emotional. T- technique at play here that is so masterful in the way that it is pitting us as an audience who are naturally aligned with simone the protagonist in a lot of ways right um against Roshiu, right uh in a way that is i think uh uh pretty uh, maybe unfair for Roshiu, i would say but also really really uh 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 engaging right like there is a there's a, a really masterful sort of um deployment of like the the hard pills to swallow meme in especially this episode right like it's it within the it with, it's a piece of the last episode really um but uh, uh I just wanted to I wanted to start off with that as a topic what do you guys think about that as an idea do you think that the uh, that they are doing something purposeful by Putting Simone in these opportunities where he he tries what he would normally do and it fails so spectacularly. But what Roshi has been doing feels wrong, right? Like there's there is a even though it makes sense and you can see the argument for it, and PMC I'm I'm definitely not trying to undercut any sort of like actually Roshi was right the whole time, which I'm not not open to. Um, and I know that my question sort of presumes like, oh, you're sort of taking already a Simone good, Roshi you bad. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying that the show is is deploying them against each other, uh, and, and I think it's doing it in a way that that really makes these grief episodes where we're maybe grieving the ideology of the Garendon. Right. That, that's I think what if there's something to grieve here, it is the 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 lack of success that that sort of go go getter attitude that that no. No lid on what we can accomplish. 17, 18, and 19 are definitely sort of reveling in that lack of of revolutionary spirit that that the complacency of the modern, quote-unquote, Gordon-Lagan society has brought about. What do you guys think about that that idea? Do you think I'm onto anything there, or do you think uh, this this episode has too many butts for that shit? I
2: mean, I think... Oh, go on, I was going to say, I mean, asking, asking what's, what's wrong in the, in the state of Kamina city, I think is definitely uh, a prime topic here. Cause it's not quite, you know, it, in the grieving arc uh, of episodes, what like eight through 10 or whatever, we, it was, we knew what was, what was the issues that everyone was mourning the loss of Kamina. And I think here, uh, the, uh, you know, sort of the, the hidden malaise is maybe is a bit less clear, uh, you know, cause I, you know, is it the loss of spirit, the, uh, the loss of that cohesiveness, uh, you know, do we really want to focus on just one character? Is, is it about all sort, cert- you know, that the, the various things that Simone has? You know, I, I I think it's the next episode where we really get to where Simone is presented with the idea that he's reached a, a, a nadir. But uh, but asking, I think asking that question is is a good uh, framework for discussion. Which is like, wh- why are things going downhill? Why does it feel that way?
1: Right. I also think Steven. in part two we're mourning childhood, or at least the childhood innocence that kind of permeated the first few episodes, or I should say the first half of the show. I mean, they were up against some overwhelming odds and they were definitely oppressed into their day to day lives. But now they're adults, or at least young adults, and they have burdens and responsibilities. Even before the shit hit the fan in part two, Simone had to deal with all these bureaucratic issues. Same with the rest of the Team Diguron. And they don't really have they don't really have time like hang out they don't have time to be children anymore to look up starry-eyed at the stars they have to they have pressing day-to-day concerns they have responsibilities they are responsible for other people and in part they should be responsible to the citizenry though a few of these guys drop the ball in regards to that
0: yeah um i think is something that's interesting about this particular episode not to jump around too too fast um but uh you know uh one of the gags, and, and, you know, something that's frustrating about the storytelling of Growing the Gun is, is how they deploy the gags sometimes, is is uh, how um, Jorgen or Bolimbo is, is a defense attorney for Simone in, in the court. That's why I called it a kangaroo court. It, it also establishes firmly that Roshu is willing to now um, put people he knows to be ill equipped to handle a job in a job, right? Um, and so if you're the sort of person who is willing to not give Roshi the benefit of the doubt, you could argue that this sort of lack of culpability, this sort of uh, uh, ease of power of, of coup d'etat is was all part of the plan, right? Like, you know, if you're the sort of person who feels that way about Roshi, you could see this as, like, moving another piece in his overall chest. Now, like, I also think, like, I, uh, personally, I, I think that this, uh, there's an argument that Roshiu is uh, engaging in uh let me start over i think personally Roshiu is doing what he feels is best but i think there is an angle on that that 20 introduces that i really want to talk about when we get to 20 so i'm going to leave it there um uh there are other you know other than the this episode kind of uh asking more tough questions that i think i wonder if this is the the show trying to almost sort of like you know, in in the first half, we 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 reveled in this this sort of youth energy, youthful energy, and can do spirit. Um, and maybe people think we can't ask these questions anymore these these Evangelion questions, right? Um, so now we're gonna, right? We're we're gonna we're gonna be cynical about modern society, right? This 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 idea that that upon losing comfort, people would immediately be the most unreasonable fucks possible. It's it's an easy sort of like drama to uh, uh, engage with because it feels like especially if you're someone who is an adult or a young adult or moving into adult life like you know a lot of people like this probably or you've experienced this sort of thing where people are uh, you know unreasonably concerned about shallow things like uh, you know parking for example or or like we hear about noise pollution early on in the show like those things are less important than you know trash collection or like you know, maintaining a neighborhood sort of whatever the fuck. Like, not necessarily cohesiveness. I don't know how much that that matters, really. But you know what I mm-hmm. mean. Like, would you guys say that that's fair? That there's a... I, I think a... And and for the purpose of drama, I would say that the, the citizenry is a little bit hyperbolic in their lack of cohesiveness and helpfulness, right? Like, that this is a dark... I would even maybe even say, like dynaxy sort of take on the the way that humanity would respond to at large to this sort of thing like this feels apocalyptic in a cynical way Yeah, yeah i mean
2: well i think part of my part of my issue is that i i think the the hyperbolic nature of the the population response is maybe like the the weakest part of this because i feel like it almost exists to justify roshu's actions to mollify it like part of because you know <laughs> running a kangaroo court and sentencing someone you know allegedly to death is like pretty bad like anyone's gonna look at that and say that's that's pretty bad but yeah uh, but you know of course the argument is and, and even you know Daika looks at this like well you know if, if if we need to keep folks calm down in order to do the things that we need to do like is it worth it yeah I,
0: I definitely want to let Steven speak because I know you've got something too but I will say that Leron is another character we are shown who generally believes that Roshu has something up his sleeve. Like he 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 believes that something there's another thing going on here that it's not just what it appears to be on its surface. And Liron is without a doubt the smartest character in the show. Um so that there's something to be said there. Steven, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, the um the way the show looks at the citizenry, like I guess the rank and file laborers, is, is a bit off-putting, at least especially for me. And it's even a touch elitist too. I, I know what you said earlier; I completely agree with it. The fact that they need the drama, they need to push pressure against Roshiu and his government for the plot just to work, but it paints the, like the the masses, the population, with such a broad brush that it is a bit, yeah, like I said before, a bit off-putting, especially for a work that's supposed to be so radical. And it paints the majority of humanity in such a negative, self-interested light. I don't entirely disagree with its viewpoints, but for a show that's so earnest and s- supposed to be so inviting, it's definitely a little off-putting.
0: Yeah, I think that um, um, PMC in our last episode pointed out a moment where some, you know, Simone is able to stop the Girl in the Gone before he 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 can do some, you know, he can harm some citizens who are in the way, and the citizens react in a way where they're like angry brooklynite so you're like hey i'm walking here you know like it's it's very cynical and and it feels more like something that that if the mood wasn't so intentional if you know i talked about in the last episode how there's like an emotional parallel that's being made between the the arc of episodes and what what nia is trying to accomplish specifically with simone right like these are two things that the the show is showing us simultaneously. That's like the overall arc, which is what's happening, of course, with Earth and the, the attempts by the Anti-Spirals to maintain a, a aura of absolute despair and, you know, everything that fucking happens to Simone. Um, what did you guys think of the, the scene where, to, to talk about Liron, we, we cut to Liran and uh, some folks who are uh, trying to approach the Mugan problem while they're discussing the, the, the kangaroo court. Uh, or actually, before we, before we get there, were there anything that happened before that you guys wanted to, to touch on, really? Like, you know, I, there, there was a scene where Simone and Roshu are, are directly confronting each other when Simone is asked to wait patiently in jail, and Roshi says some shit there. Did you guys have any comments about that? Yeah, I just kept
1: writing, yeah, fuck off, Roshi. like over and over again <laughs> in my notes. There's one yep. line that really stands out that I want to touch on real quick. Uh, this is from the uh, the dub, but he says, no, it is – this is Roshi. No, it is you who understands nothing. You haven't so much as tried to change in the past seven years. And I would argue that he's changed the most out of anyone, personally speaking. He's undergone the most change. He began the show as like a, comp, a, a boy who lacks confidence – and he's matured into a, I would say, arguably a man with some principles. Sure, he can be a bit brash at times, but I think his heart's in the right place. I would say Roshi, on the other hand, has regressed. if you think back to the end of Episode 5, when he shunned Father Ma- lightly shunned Father Magian's teachings, he's g- now gone back, he is Father and amplified 20-fold.
2: Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, the, the hardest part for, for me was the, uh, I think at one point, roshu makes the case that uh, that simone is is now to the citizenry as lord genome was and i i you know i of course i'm out here trying to make cases for for roshu and i feel like that's that's a really hard one to make because i don't think there's really any point during the the run of the the first half that were were shown that you know people hiding underground really have that direct relationship to Lord Genome. Everyone knows who Simone is. he's highly visible, but I don't think Lord Genome was ever really quite like that with the underground villages i mean no one no one in odd i knew knew him or or littner or any of the other villages that we that we run into so or, i mean it was very- very i think strange to make that and I feel like it's it's hard for that to to have any standing
0: yeah I think um you know obviously the 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 harshest critique or the harshest thing he had to say was the 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 idea that that communist death was a net good for the world and that 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 comes off as a very like uh edgelord kid thing to say you know it's one of those things that is is has maybe an element of truth to it but it's not the the reasons why you wouldn't say it outweigh any particular truth it might have
1: if does that make sense yeah, he's concerned with numbers as opposed to human life. I'm constantly reminded of Roshu when I turn on the news or read bad takes on the internet about what's going on in the world around us now.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing about, about Roshu, I guess I can tie this a little bit into some of the, the, the court stuff. I think the the way Roshu operates, um, everything he he's, you know, compared to so our real world, I think Stephen Hero is right to bring up real world uh, you know, uh, instances because in our real world, we have lots of people doing things in bad faith for bad reasons, you know, typically to maintain or, or acquire their you know, their own power. Uh, whereas the the thing that we have in this show is that Roshu is doing bad faith actions. He's hiding behind the laws in the same way that Magen hid behind God's rules. Simone points this out explicitly. Uh, and he, you know, in general he's doing all these things, fixing things and he's doing everything within his power to get things to play out. The way he thinks they're, that they're going to play out. Now, of course, his his ultimate goal is to ensure the survival of humanity, and I think that weighs upon him a lot. But of course, the issue here, right, is that he's he's this sort of poison poison seed of bad faith really pollutes everything he does. Instead, so, you know, at no point is he like. And, and also, I th- I think the conversation with uh, Simone about Kamina and Kamina's passing and its effect on the rebellion. Sort of I think m- you know misses <laughs> misses the point because he sees things as sort of a you know a chessboard of, of things just sort of knocking each other over uh, in a chain reaction and I, I think it shows a, a sort of lack of imagination and a lack of of, of empathy a lack of, of moral value to think that you know like please take things seriously, you know, please, and please take other people seriously. That's maybe the most important advice for Roshu is that, like we can, you know, we can see that you're trying to ensure the survival of humanity, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're failing to work with other people. And I think what that means is that you, you're, you have, you're dooming yourself to fewer options by shutting people out like this.
0: It's, it's so interesting. Uh, I, I feel like 19, 19- Is still it maintains to me a veneer of good faith for Roshiu. I feel like I can see that calculus he's running, I can see where he's going with most of his actions. I think the cracks of it really do show in that comment about Kamina. I think that is where it begins for me to feel like, ah yes, I do think there is an angle here. Like there is a if if you're the sort of person who is trying to stay ahead of where the plot is going. You, you can kind of get the sense that it's building to something with roshu whether that's like a a redemptive moment or a reveal of like haha this was my plan the whole time you know um but what becomes clear as of 19 is is how much this is just he's just following through with the actions he feels are best and and this time instead of just being him he's empowered and not necessarily un reasonably so i think that there's the fact that he has so many people who have faith in what he's doing, including leron the per- again the person I think is the smartest person in the show I think is testament to a general sense that that if he's doing this he he feels it is the best thing to do he is the sort of person who does things in good faith, which is I think what's super interesting about the thing I was alluding to earlier that we'll talk about when we move on to episode twenty um but uh one of the things I liked about the scene, you know, we're we're back now to the, the Wickdonald scene, where how do you guys like the the uh uh Tapa Gurnlagan uh premiere of Wackdonald's uh is <laughs> being shared by everyone in the uh the engineering room. Uh even Leron's got a soft serve, you know. I know I know folks who go for that soft serve when they go to Wack Donalds. Uh we got Sleepy Guy with a burger. Shout out to Sleepy Guy with a burger. I think that's Sleepy Guy, it looks like him. Yeah, um, Attenborough also there gets to do a good joke uh, about uh, office chairs and spinning. Uh, but the thing I want to shout out in this scene is I, uh, you know, one of the the best ways you can endear someone to a character is is watching them work something out. And this has become like a to the point that this is a a a feature of a, a Raki, uh, uh inspired shonen, right? Like like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure is is from season two forward built on that idea, right? That Watching someone work a thing out builds empathy, whether this is a protagonist an antagonist or what have you. Um, and the and I know PMC is going to love it later when we see the fruits of this, the uh, the how we're we're seeing LeRon single handedly like unmake the 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 spiral anti spiral technology by figuring out basically like not not instantly, which is maybe my favorite part of it, but like because it, it, we'll see later the weaponry he develops after this idea is like multifaceted, and and it requires multiple things working together in unison in order to function. Uh, uh, I just like this bit. What did you guys think about this bit?
1: I like the chair bit. I laughed a lot. (laughs) Not to reduce it to one small element. We also, in the dub, get (laughs) Attenborough's localized name, which is Artinborough, which is not roll off the tongue.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. This is like in in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure when ACDC and Wham are are S C Desi and and Wamu, and, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> all of the all JoJo's right. names is...
2: are just completely like I I, I, I still don't, I don't know wanna... what to make sense of, of Avdol. That's very yeah. I don't. Yeah, come on, guys. I, think
0: I get it because dude, they have to show it on fucking TV in America, but also like this is this is part of why I sometimes just prefer to anyway it's yeah, fine yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. um and uh when it comes to this scene uh I think this is where I'm gonna talk about something that really bugged me in this episode and and it comes up here uh and it happens more later but uh this this feels like I wonder if there was i was watching this with my partner and i and I remarked i was like I wonder if they felt like we needed to get shots like this because Yoko hasn't been on the show in a while. And so there's like a, a TNA that we're missing, right? Uh, if I'm being like super cynical because there's a lot of weird shot choices in this. So the first time I noticed it, there's a shot where we are uh, uh, descending into what we will eventually reveal to be the Ark current. And, and the, the shot is framed in such a way that we see Roshu and we see Severus Snape. I forget what that kid's name is. Gumbly? The glasses kid. Yeah, g- 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 gumble. Um, Someone needs Gumbel to make a name and...
1: generator for these side characters in Gurren Lagann. It is a clusterfuck.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, shoutouts to Leita and Makin later, oh, yeah. but we'll talk about that later. Um, uh, but but this this shot is framed in such a way we see their faces, but but keenan's boobies, right? And I'm like, okay, this is a weird shot to sh- to like shoot or to draw rather. But I I you know I can see why they made this choice. And then later we're shown a shot where it's clear that Kenan's head was just out of frame, right? Like, they, they had shown us the, a portion of what they had, they had drawn where we're seeing Roshiu and, and Severus Snape, but the most important part of Kenan, her titties, right? Um, and then later in the scene that I was referring to previously, Leron and a uh, hamburger guy and uh, Art and Art and Braffer uh, get, getting the 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 situation figured out with the anti sparrow weaponry. There's a shot where we just see Dari's butt, and she hasn't had anything to say in the scene yet. It's just her butt. Um, and and it's what it made me think was like, man, there's so much good in the show that that. Like and that the text is is so interesting at times. Like I was really into this this dilemma that I you know is maybe not there if you don't like Roshi as a character. But as someone who who wants to see this as a like good faith struggle that this character is putting himself through, you know I, I'm really interested in what this episode and these series of episodes are doing. And then there's Dari's butt. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is like if, if you know, to to summon the spirit of Stephen Hero, if I'm I'm reading Moby Dick and I turn the page and Ishmael's just got big bouncy boobies, and I'm like, wait, what? What is this?
1: Real <laughs> like, talk, I wouldn't you know, be 100 percent opposed to that either in the Moby Dick context. Well, okay,
0: i I'm just,
1: <laughs> wait, but Stephen Hero. No, I hear you. It's a, it creates a dissonance, <laughs> the, certainly.
0: Right. The, 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 that is the 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 criminal. To quote Austin Walker, the criminal horniness that we're seeing on display. Uh, in Gurren Lagann is, is like a, a demand of the commercial interests, right? We we've uh, in the process of talking about this show, like the commercial interests in mech shows are completely intertwined with them, yeah. like they, that's the reason they exist. And so it, it has always felt like this devil, this Faustian bargain, right? Where we get these stories with these trappings that we that are so appealing and so excellent and really. Handle uh, uh, these sort of emotional beats that we're interested in in a myriad of different ways, but it it comes with a spoonful of like actual castor oil that we just have to fucking swallow in the form of like I don't know the the, the designs that demand like well this one should have two guns instead of f- five or or titties you know what I mean like it's it's a real uh, you know I've talked about this before it, it, it's not necessarily a problem except that those visuals are the things that your audience are mostly going to take away like i'm thinking of people who only watch the show once and they did it on a recommendation from a friend and like they're gonna come away thinking that it's like 60 percent trashy and then then it's largely the visuals that have to do with that right Mm -hmm. and they aren't necessarily wrong on that front i don't know this was something that stuck out to me was this a, a, a something that you guys noticed or was this just like Cicel, Vigar, yeah,
1: there actually hasn't been a lot of friction for me regarding Leron's characterization in a while, but I really bumped on the child predator joke bit with him and Dari. Was it Gimme? Both of them? Yeah, Gimme. Yeah, Gimme. Who's the the yeah. young boy? The or gimme. gimme I always get their names confused. Yeah, I
2: definitely noticed I I, I think with I mean with, with, with Kenan being one of the the black siblings you know i'm I'm sort of i guess i wasn't surprised but i was sort of taken aback by by dari getting the just that's always so telling when you have that shot of someone sitting down and and a woman standing near and the shots just framed so it's just like ass in your face but also back there is where the action of the scene is happening
0: well, with Dari, it's especially weird too, and and like this is something like, uh, God, this is. I, I'm first off, I completely agree, Steven Hero. That 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 bit sucks, especially from a character that is as textually queer as as leron is. That that really suggests a sort of like uh, particular bent of like, oh, this is what what queer dudes are into. But no, um the the Dari thing especially sucks and, and the give me thing really it because these are characters we've been with since they were children like that sucks <laughs> stop that and and they're still children really there's a lot <laughs> of gynaxing
1: with Keenan to Keenan too at the end of the episode when she's in the mac
0: oh i don't know why i mean obviously uh, we can talk about how Keenan is making character choices that she believes are righteous but are are like I, I definitely kind of want to do dig into that a bit, but I don't understand why she deserves no dignity. <laughs> like, constantly, this episode is not... Like, we've never seen a pilot of Gurren b- b- made into such a parody as Keenan is in in this episode. And it bummed me out, because being a pilot of Gurren Lagann a- was like a, a meaningful, textual... Like, choice, right? Like, there's been a small list of, of people who've rode in the Gurren, especially. It is Kamina, it is Yoko, it is Roshiu, and now it is Kiran, right? And that's it. Uh, and it, for Kenan to be treated visually so poorly was a huge bummer. <laughs> Again, I think to, to Ishmael and his bouncy boobies as I turn the page, like, why, what is this? What is this about? And the answer is, I know, like, like it's it's supposed to be appealing to me and it sucks. Well, not me, but me like 14 years ago or whatever.
1: Yeah, and even, even looking at it like very, I don't know, cynically or even capitalistically, you don't need to sell people on the show. It's a big hit. You don't need to go out of your way to try to entice new, a new audience. You have the audience. You don't have to debase yourselves, animators.
0: Yeah, I just don't know who this is for.
1: It's probably like, for, It I could also know. be for the animators, because again, it's just like they're lusting over these characters sometimes.
0: That could be it. I don't know. Yeah, that's a very yeah. cynical
1: read, too.
2: I mean, it, you already referenced uh, the discussion about deep criminal horniness and people who create deep criminal horniness, but I think certainly that was... The context of that remark is in a context where it was... The people doing designs, you know, had previous experience writing sexually explicit material. And so, you know, maybe they, maybe that's what they do.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's not necessarily a problem.
1: No, it's, it's, it's,
2: I'm not saying that I, I'm actually out here to make corniness literally a crime. Yes. <laughs> Is that that's it, jail that's all point.
1: horny people. That's Roshi's job. Yeah. Corniness, Corn- <laughs> I hereby sentence you to death.
2: Uh, I mean, so
0: I, I let's see, because we talked about there's really not much to talk about the court scene, and and the, maybe that's good. I don't know what I what I, I guess Gur in the Gone court is just Phoenix Wright. Yeah, I mean, the only, that, that, I think the
2: only thing that, about the court scene is that you know as Simone's remark establishing the parallels between Odd Eye Village and what Roshu's doing in that moment, where it's like at any time, you know, this is something I harp on all the time because of my experience in legal and legal adjacent matters, which is that. Like, anytime someone tells you, like, oh, well, I, you know, it's, it's out of my hands, it's the law, like, they're 100% full of shit, like, especially if a conservative jurist tells you that, they are so full of shit. And so I think anytime in this situation, when Roshu or anyone under him says, well, you know, it's the law, but then, of course, you know, who wrote the laws, what were the laws written for, and you can imagine someone as effective as Roshu, you know, like... You know, especially the bar, the part about like, well, you know, as soon as who who gets who's next in line? You know, who succeeds Simone if he's convicted in the court of law? It's Roshu. So you know, I, I think th- that sort of thing really it really runs the parallel like laws don't exist the gods' rules are made up for survival. What were the right. laws made up for, right? And and the answer is not necessarily so that you know, so that Roshu could take power, because I think this is why Roshu again is still still ultimately better than our real world leaders is that Roshu is, is frantically compelled to deal with this threat of annihilation.
0: Right. And, you know, we, we previously established Roshi as someone who uh, uh, feels a lot of friction about being right all the time. Right. And, and you can only be that person for so long before you start to resent that people don't listen to you more. And I, I I wonder, I humbly wonder while we're talking in episode 19, how much of what we're experiencing in, in this is a execution on those unresolved sorts of feelings. And, and the people who are around him, enabling him, maybe, uh, you know, we'll talk about maybe what that, uh, why would they make that choice? um ketan
1: i will uh, say but- is chief of the legal affairs bureau really fucked up as he watches powerless as this uh as as steals power and just per- per- mutates and perverts this entire notion of jurisprudence
0: yeah i wondered what his ability to to intervene was if he was legal affairs chief it feels like you would be able to say but maybe not right maybe, I mean, that's, uh that's
2: the point is, is the the law the law was it was a setup the whole time the right. law the law right. isn't real jurisprudence is a sham yeah we
0: make up the law sign we made it trilogy up. thank you word, words are made up that's a made up word all words are made up um uh, but an important thing does happen in, in court uh, for once um and and Nia shows up anti spiral Nia shows up and she basically shows up to be like this rules our plan's going great you probably feel miserable. This this helps you feel miserable. Speaking of feeling miserable, here comes a bunch of uh, here comes a bunch of fucking Mugan on a new like carrier type Mugan to at Littner Village, like the one that we know people will recognize because we said it a bunch of times, um, and we mentioned a die village already. And no one would be sad if something happened to a die village. <laughs> That's not it's mean to say, but in Littner, we we Dayaka's from, Yoko's from, Liran is from. Like, there's there's a more of an emotional attachment to it, which is why it gets blown the fuck up. Um. But uh, a thing I do want to shout out while we're talking about visuals mattering, this is why I brought this up, is because they clearly knew, they clearly know about this technology because they, they highlighted a specific thing, which is to say that when Anti-Spiral Nia is doing her her, her supervillain speech, we, we see a shot where she cradles Simone's face and, and that she is wearing the, the wedding ring. Uh, and we, we cut away when she teleports away from that. But like, to me, you know, I don't want to talk spoilers here because... You know, this is kind of a spoiler beat, but the the fact that she's still wearing the ring is indicative of of you know it could be indicative of a number of things, but will end up being indicative of a a Nia underneath that is still reachable despite what what the a literal uh, glimmer endi- of hope you say, right? Exactly, right? Exactly. So so when I see that, I'm like, oh, so they know exactly what they're doing when <laughs> the titties are jiggling and the Dari's butt is the majority of the frame. You know they know exactly what they're doing because here's a storytelling beat right that is purely visual um so the simone is like well i'll go in the girl and the gone because you still don't really have a plan for the grab um and this is maybe a peek into because i was surprised at the friction here other than like the appearance of well we can't just let a someone who we just condemned as a war criminal to death fly out in a in the most the most powerful mech we have (laughs) you know i I also have to
2: say that roshu's initial reaction to the like the the wiring girl like on with the bomb idea definitely had strong fei feng wong thinking about a bomb collar energy i don't (laughs) i don't know if you also thought (laughs) of this but i did yeah well you know i I had Kislev on the mind
0: (laughs) um but uh uh the okay Okay, so so this is when we we get the reveal of the like the 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 move here, which is that we've wired Kenan to the bomb as like a like a ransom. It's like okay, so you can't just like do a do a hero sacrifice because we're gonna put someone like you know comparatively adorable and innocent in here so that you will feel compelled to return. And 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 this is also what I like about this is that it, it's also used as ammunition against Roshi, right? It's supposed to be like uh look how fucking cold and cruel he is and you know there is if there's an argument against that there is obviously the what we'll learn later which was that this is kind of Kenon's idea um and what i would say to that is uh, something we'll learn at the end of this sequence you know i I don't want to necessarily wave away this sequence where uh Keenan and uh, Simone defeat the, the Mugons. It's just, you know, with this action beat, there's there's fairly little as far as, like, text to talk about. Do you do you guys have anything to say about this action beat with the battle against the Mugons? No. They did use PMC's favorite um, 30 goddamn dicks uh, They, they uh, did. Technique. They
2: got a name. It's the maximum. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's uh, 30 goddamn dicks maximum. Um... Uh, and you know we, we've we've kind of uh, or at least I've I've touched the the I, I didn't like the visual choices for Keenan in in the ship or in the Um We did see a new established uh, carrier type, and that they can do some like some Tron Jetting around. Yeah, they got I,
2: the I uh, the Zone of the Enders like zero dash or whatever that they can do. Oh yeah, the
1: music here is also that very is Zone of... of the Enders too, very techno in a good way oh yeah i think all, yeah, the, one, all yeah. the
2: visual effects they do to sort of cast the the mugan and anti spirals as being extremely otherworldly both the you know the visual cg choices we commented on that before but both uh, i think the visual and the musical combination work very well
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah agreed so when simone returns he he uh surrenders the chord drill uh we get some big old text uh was that this episode or the last one that is the end
2: of this episode when like i think kino and and roshi are walking back towards the base and it's like big text yeah we get the uh the
0: minor key uh roro fight the power i think that's what this is i don't know what minor key means usually it means slow and sad <laughs> so i just assume. like almost out of tune
2: yeah don't um, don't do this to me guys please <laughs>
0: I, I'm I, sure my comment
2: has banned Fretzel
0: from like,
1: Fretzel's gonna
2: exist. Fretzel is a very zen person. He's very nice, but for that, maybe he'll show up and, and fight you. <laughs> Didn't
0: fight Ignis.
2: Finally, it'll happen. Finally. Um. So so uh,
0: Simone is is condemned, and Keeton's not happy. He feels like I, I want to talk about this because uh, I feel like this is keen on character assassination. This episode, I feel like it is in a big bad way. Because we learned way earlier in the episode that Kenan has not been to visit her sister and her new niece. Niece? Is that... That's right, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I just... I sometimes get those familial relationship terms messed up. Because uh, I'm a dink. But uh, um, the... This is... I don't want to... Okay. Obviously what she's doing is very important. And it's, and it as, it's asking a lot of her. But... Uh, we get the impression that she is definitely pushing herself to give as much of herself as she can as a sort of show of emotional support to Roshu, who we can assume this is all taking a massive toll on, right? Um, uh, I took this as, like, like you know, maybe when I was younger it was easier for me to brush this off, but right now I'm like, wow, that, that's, that's, like, weird. <laughs> like... Um, and then now when Keaton, uh, Keaton co- uh, confronts uh, Roshu uh, and uh, Roshu not only doesn't address it, but it, it sort of it just kind of lets it wash over him. Uh, Kenon is the one who interrupts and and what I think is interesting is that Keenan doesn't interrupt necessarily with like a like a reason, you know. Um, As much as she's just sort of arguing, you know, for his emotional well-being kind of in that moment that he's doing his best here and that his best is asking a lot and that, you know, what Ketan is doing isn't necessarily helpful. Uh, But I was I was surprised. I was like, well, you know, I am surprised that she's not as like intuitive as i would have guessed right i I felt like that what they were going for and what they would have revealed this episode is that she has some sort of insight about his like secret plan right but but what she says here it seems more just like she she wants to be as supportive as possible so she can remain close and that that's kind of a bummer like you know i'm not saying that that's a, a poor like instinct right like definitely be supportive to the people you love and stuff like that as much as it's just you know, I would like it if if it felt more informed by a like a a character choice rather than this this is drama for us as an audience because we like Keton and we don't necessarily like what Roshi was doing. Do, you, do you, How did you guys feel about this?
1: Yeah, I wish we had more reason. If we knew why she would, became so infatuated with him, other than power or the cult of personality that has built around him. If there's some reciprocity there, otherwise, again, like you said earlier, it's almost like character assassination. We have no reason. We have no reason to believe that she has her best interest in mind when she is gravitating towards him.
2: Yeah, I think we would need some. I feel like emotionally, we need some sort of, uh, you know, stunning revelation about you know either Roshu's mental state or the general like needs of the of the emergency, because you know, ordinarily, if someone becomes so uh, obsessed with something that they aren't keeping normal ties with their fa- friends and family, that's usually a bad look, right? We, we think of that as sort of a situation that should always be short term. And you, everyone should understand. Oh, you know, I'm just really throwing myself into something because of of the, you know of, of this and that. But I feel like it is not communicated to us in the context of Keenan especially, and what her role is even really. Besides just being, you know, because I feel like we it, it's communicated to us that she's a member of a faction more so than being like she is this person in the you know in the government or something
0: the thing that it reminds me of most clearly as a like a parallel and you know i'm sorry for people who don't know specifically what i'm talking about but the it, it's it is like the bond the, the the draw that gendo seems to have on a myriad of female characters and even galleon but specifically i'm thinking of ritsuko and ritsuko's family uh, i'm not going to say much more than that steven do you think
1: i'm off base there No, yeah, i think that's right on the money
0: I don't think that's it's it's quite as sinister. We'll learn later that it's not quite as sinister or manipulative, but that that's the feel I'm getting as far as the like the signals being th- drawn at us. <laughs> um, but uh, that that brings us to the end of nineteen as a as a plot episode. Were, were there any other beats you guys wanted to hit on before we we moved on to our next topic?
2: No, I think that's. That's about it. I think you got all the, the important stuff. I mean, Simone moves in with Viral; they're great roommates. Yeah,
0: I think the only thing really we should probably hit on before we move on from nineteen is just the the reveal of the pearls and uh, spiral weaponry system uh, that, that, that I referenced earlier in the episode. What did you guys think of that as a, just a, a technology? Uh, I was I just thought it was cute. It was cute to see what they're working on. <laughs> the weapons look cool.
1: Yeah, we also they talk about the arc Gurren, which we're introduced to as well. I immediately thaw the eldritch from Xenogears, You'll be happy to note, Ignis. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes, that's definitely. Well, you know, we're we're approaching a, 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 a part of the show that n- I now sort of recognize as, you know, being a a gunbuster and and that uh, uh, sort of like space opera throwback, right? And the Art Gurren is definitely in that that ilk, and the eldritch you know is definitely because yeah. of that in
2: that elk, i mean going know? forward too, this this like exact idea of a major spaceship sort of hidden in you know underneath the city is is also something we'll be visiting in a future work as well hopefully
0: oh yeah oh yeah this will come up again real soon uh but yeah that that leaves us plenty of time to hey what's that is that the oh i, I think that's a fucking white castle is that a cliff? let's go let's ahead
2: go. Ah!
0: Those two. Those two, sir. Those two ganged up on that poor bird man. What? Get clear, Keaton. Mocking? Sorry, it took a while
2: to find the sitter for the kids. That gives me a sense of what your family likes. like. How far will God so test be- us? No, I mean, what? I Sorry. Say, oh, that's the episode of- title. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Might be. You should keep that in.
0: Uh, how How far will you test us, comma, God? uh Simone is in prison not just with himself but his new roommate Veral. Veral is loving the irony of being in prison with Simone right now as as Veral might be the only person on earth having a good time. Uh Liron discovers something that people who read science fiction or also have an understanding of physics have already known that something as large as the moon making contact with the surface will irreparably harm the planet much more extensively than they have thus far predicted. Meaning that many of the ab- will be abandoned simply to die. Kitan does his damnedest to make sure his family can make out, make it on the Ark Gurren, just as the Mugan attack. Some of the members of the Dai Gurren, like Makan and Leite, have been secretly maintaining the old tech, which is deadly against the Mugon. The Ark Gurren is forced to launch, leaving many behind, but Anti-Spiral Nia claims that they are still not safe. She is interrupted when a familiar shot rings out, revealing Time Skip Nia, or fuck, <laughs> shit, <laughs> that Skip Yoko has returned. <laughs> I'm sorry I ruined everyone's (laughs) ears. I hope I don't know if that's something PMC can. I I can do it again if we need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, First off, uh, something I want to say off the top is that I feel like uh, in there are are arcs of episodes that feel like they are of a piece in the show a lot of the time, and I feel like 17, 18, and 19 are very much of a piece, and 20 is the beginning of something new kind of not new actually it's kind of like well you know you you thought maybe we were done but but actually maybe this still that that, that little that spark that old spark is maybe still there that that maybe it, it has value after all and maybe we're going to start to finding what that old spark is in a way that maybe the first half of the show hadn't really even dared to do yet um, but but we can talk about that more as we proceed first let's start in prison we're in jail with uh, we're in like what i would refer to as cartoon jail super jail um yeah (laughs) it's it's definitely like a um what i would say is like a normal person's understanding of like what like gruff jail looks like right where uh you know you, you got like tough guys and they're like macho uh and they there's like um what i would say is the the bad faith argument against like oh no it's fine that we have um you know 16 to 18 year old Dari butt shots because here comes a, a shower full of dudes and also a a rooster man uh and then there's a simone naked rooster man and Viral naked fight and you know we don't have to talk about how this is of course not the same thing at all i i, I think everyone on this podcast is very clear on that but in case you're listening and you're not um the even this macho stupid. Uh, you know I, i'm of course the joke here is the the fight is is the joke here right, i think, I, was about to,
2: I was about to chime in but i was like let me he's probably going there i feel like he's working his yeah. way towards it
0: um you know the even though that that's a joke uh the the point is that this like 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 scrape still kind of maintains simone and varal as like powerful figures right especially varal who is, has complete control over this entire like sloppy wet fight you know um, and, and so it's different from being strapped to a bunch of things and having your titties jiggle when you're out of control careening in a mech that you're definitely not like c- participating in, right? And that's sort of what I mean when, when I say that Keenan doesn't maintain her dignity, whereas Simone and Viral definitely, definitely do here. Um, speaking of this fight, I-, I do think it's very funny that we don't get to see it. <laughs> I know it's cheap. I know it's very gynax <laughs> for them to really not show us the majority of the fight. Uh, but i think it's really funny <laughs> yeah
1: they gotta save the money shots for that... later in the episode
0: for sure did that work for you guys or is it just me am i just like willing to give them this credit
2: no i liked it because I, I think it's one of those one of those things where the the fight was really like the two engines of the fight are what viral sort of provoking simone into maybe you know reaching a turning point uh mentally and then the other part is also fun comic beats you know where they play, the ending of the fight is hilarious i i laugh <laughs> it's like it was those two they were ganging up on that poor bird man and what <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's very good that's very good
0: um varal makes an excellent link noise uh when he is caught here uh it's very good um i also like this beat of varal um he has an extremely good line where he talks about Uh, you know human wisdom has its moments and in in particular in in reference to how he as supreme commander the the literal top of this society and viral in his mind representing the the bottom wrong at the bottom possible because to him i think he he maintains because we'll see we'll hear him rather later speak like you know was your is this the result of your destruction of our society you know he still kind of uh, thinks of himself as a, a member of the lord Genome's reign right um uh and and as you know to have to both end up here in this place like he th- thinks that's delicious um uh, that's a beat that I just think is it's interesting for a character to for th- this sort of character to end up in. You don't necessarily get the Vegeta in this particular place, right? They've they've usually been subsumed into the the the, the, the like status quo of the story much sooner than this, right? Uh, but Varal still kind of gets to maintain his outsider nature. Um, but putting Simona and Vural in this scenario kind of will also gives them the opportunity to. Talk about how similar they are, right? Uh, and and not necessarily in this episode, but we can start to see how they are aligned, even in this cockfight, where Virel basically comes to Simone's rescue, but mostly in a Vegeta like only I'm allowed to kill Kakarot sort of way. Mm-hmm. This is a, a trope in the, in the same sort of like when I say trope, I don't mean this in the dis- like you know dismissive way most people do. I, I mean this in the way that we might refer to the Skull Greymon, right? Which I might argue is what's happening to Roshiu as of episode 20 episode 20 sort of argues that Roshiu is doing his version of skull gray monning in a lot of ways where he is pushing himself to what he thinks are the the hard the hard facts right pushing himself pushing himself and and for so long up until 20 i think you could definitely say that this is all in good faith right that like Putting, putting Simone to death to mollify the crowds and making the big speech and using Lord Genome technology, even though we've been destroying Lord Genome technology, uh, you could argue most of it has been in good faith. But episode 20 reveals a, a, a small visual cue that we see here when he is uncomfortable with the, the revelation that Léron provides, which is that... You know the planet's fucked. If the moon falls, the planet is fucked. The anti spirals
2: um, are making uncrustables, and it will be bad for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm furious with you right now. <laughs> you don't like uncrustables, but it's the planet. <laughs> no. God, <stop. laughs>
0: All right. Anyway. Anyway. That that we we see the shot of of, of Roshu sitting uncomfortably, and and he's sort of like. I don't want to say clawing. He's not like desperately clawing, but he's definitely sort of uh, if, uh, trying to get a handle of something that's around his neck. Um, and then we'll later reveal that he's, he's wearing the cord drill. Uh, and before I, I talk about this, and, and this is something that, we, that is revealed what much later in the episode, I, I kind of wanted to give you guys the opportunity to talk about this, this revelation. Did you guys, did this, did this hit you in any particular way or did you have any feeling about this
1: reveal? At this point, when I start thinking about Roshu, I start thinking about, does he derive satisfaction from power? Like you mentioned good faith versus bad faith argument. And it almost seems by, assuming you're talking about wearing the cordial as some sort of totem, it almost seems like he is rubbing it somewhat in Simone's face. And it does make me, as a viewer, begin to question his motives. I've been pretty down on Roshu the entire time. I see him like as a miniature Stalin, but with better intentions. And like you said earlier, when, when the nail in the coffin for me with Roshu was when he this friend for, for sentenced Simone, his friend, and they've gone through hell and back together to death. At that point, he was completely dead to me. Even though I do understand there is an argument to be had for the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, by literally murdering your friend, I think you erase some of that or all of that.
0: PMC any any thoughts before I I say my spiel about this Uh, I don't
2: I don't really think so I I think you know the the presence of things like the the core drill and whatnot that I think they're important in sort of seeing you know in these private moments right in the private moments of of Roshu like what is it he's he's really worried about because I think the you know the issue here is sort of the distance between uh you know the the means and the ends um and I still think he's sincere but I, I, you know, I, I don't think he maybe quite appreciates how bad the means are sometimes. So, so for me, what this truly indicates uh, when I when I say bad faith,
0: what I mean is that all of his actions could be said to be truly about I mean, getting the the result in the long run in the in the the God's uh, or, or sky's eye view of things, the big picture. That they they were not and therefore not ego driven, right? They're not about Roshiu getting power, not about Roshiu being recognized, not about Roshiu being right, right? But the thing that to me this cordial represents is that it, it was ego that that when he when he accuses Simone of not changing in seven years, what he's he's talking about is not literally changing. What he's talking about is that Simone still believes in the Daikirin way that if we just try hard enough and and do and believe in people and believe in them in what they do best, that things will work out in the long run. That's really what he's accusing him of. And him taking the cordial and wearing it is about him being right. Is about him finally succeeding in the long run about I am now in charge of the Daigern Brigade, this thing that I that he does truly believe in, but right now he feels like he can't rely on, that he feels like isn't the answer, and therefore he pushes himself into actions that he personally doesn't want to do, but he feels like is the actual right thing to do, and no one's around to talk him out of it, and no one can talk him out of it, and the people who feel like they're helping are really just enabling, is what we're, we'll end up coming around to. For me, this drill and Ketan. Coming here and taking it in a way that's not confrontational reveals that there was a lot of this that had to be, you know, Sumo be doing what he felt was best for the best possible faith reason. Um, and I think we can take that as as text due to Liron's faith in him. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I say Leron is the smartest character in the show, I do think that when Liron signals something to the audience, we can take that as the text being like, I'm not you know, this isn't one hundred percent truth, but this is something that you should regard as important to maintain moving forward. And the fact that he does feel like that Roshiu had something in mind says to me that there was a good faith reason to believe that Roshiu had something in mind. And I think what this reveals, this 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 actual sort of totem, this trophy that, that was around his neck, because he's not if you think about it. There's no reason to wear it, right? There really isn't. There isn't a reason to wear it other than as a like I won, like you you know, like I I was right. I did the hard thing, and you know this is this is proof of it. I'm the Diger and don leader now, and I'm not saying this because fuck Roshiu. I am. I am not the the uh, commander of the Versu Defense Brigade, but I, I generally believe what makes him interesting, what makes him a valuable character to the text of Gurren Legon, is his place as this, you know, I don't want to say Judas, but Judas figure. I, I think he has a really important role in the text and that the, he needs to sort of be the the, the bearer of our emotional sort of disdain for three or four episodes while he does the stuff that's no fun right like and and some of it is not strapping keenon to the bomb is some bullshit and and keenon enabling it is is you know uh, Unfortunately, we can see like Black sibling overexuberance in this, right? Like this sort of thing is very Keaton like, right? Like this sort of like, oh, I know how it can be helpful. I will exaggerate this thing to a degree that's not really, you know, actually helpful to Roshu because you can imagine that Roshu, if he's someone who does actually care for Keaton, strapping Keaton to a bomb is not actually helping him out emotionally in the long run, right? Like I'm sure that stressed him out more right but you can see how that performance is like a, a way to sort of execute his vision of what he's supposed to be right which is the dude who eats all the vegetables and makes all the tough decisions for all these babies in the room right and I, i'm not saying this to be dismissive of Roshu, but i think this is what we can take away from the core drill what do you guys think do you think i'm, I'm on to anything there
2: i like yeah, I, I really like on. that take um yeah especially because i think we we've talked in previous episodes about the extent to which the success of the dagar and Don is based on having different uh you know having diversity of thought, and to which those uh, different types of thinking are in conflict in these episodes, and I think that um you know that competitiveness right because sometimes you know there's a we live in a hell world where where people tell you that competition is great always and forever but really you know competition has to be within a scope and i think what's happened here maybe is that the the competing natures of different solutions has kind of gone out of control here to where you know maybe maybe it was an ego problem or roshu felt the need to to win at all costs you know and and that's really the sort of problem
1: yeah, I think yeah. maybe my biggest issue with Roshu is his very binary thinking, or he looks at things either as ultimately right, 100% right, 100% wrong, and he lacks nuance. He sees things in the macro, things that seem to at least superficially cure all, but he fails to look at like the micro, or how his decisions and his influence on others can have much larger impact on the individuals. I, I, I don't think Roshu thinks about how he's twisting the minds of these men and women who have become infatuated with them. The Roshu right. youth, for example, or whatever you want to call them.
0: Yeah, I, I know I had bad names for them last time. <laughs> the, the youth group.
1: <laughs> I, to, um, to be fair, I'm very down on Roshu. I wouldn't want to be in shoes either. There definitely has to be tough decisions. But if I were in a position of power, I would, and this is the route we're going, even if we have to go down that route, I would... Almost wipe my hands of it, like Kiton or Daika and resign. There's just the amount of the amount of blood on their hands, at least inadvertently, is massive.
0: So another thing I want to bring up, I know we're, we're really on like the Roshiu character uh, study hour right now, but the other thing I think is important when we're discussing like the the character and his his arc in these last couple episodes is the the, the point about so early on in it, with the first episode of the time skip, episode seventeen, uh, we learn that the gunmen have been dismantled. Um, and we learned that this was done as a sort of execution of the idea that everything that's from the Lord Genome era is should be like like uh, abandoned or like rejected, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is That everything that has allowed for the Roshi regime's success, all of it is secret Lord Genome tech that they've just, like, sanctioned, right? Um, And so what they've really gotten rid of is not the Lord Genome stuff, but the Daigrendon stuff. That's really what they've gotten rid of is is the stuff that really empowers them. It's not these these titles and these roles that they're not suited for that make them the Daikarendon. You know, it's their mechs, it's it's their gear, it's the stuff that that led them to victory against Lord Genome. And and here where we see that that Roshiu with the cordril has has you know superseded them all with his way like it 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 reveals ultimately that while he does have the best intentions at heart there is an angle to it that maybe has corrupted what he's been doing and in a way that i don't know if he's not aware about that i think him when when ketan confronts him and and basically is like well give me the fucking cordial you know it doesn't belong to you like you know it's not yours um and the way he just gives it up, it, it like, you know, Roshi has many things, but not self-aware, I don't think is one of them. I think, you know, one of the way, best ways you could communicate character in an animated show is through the eyes, right? Madhouse, uh, shout-outs to Madhouse in particular, Hunter Hunter has so much emphasis on eyes. And you can tell so much about a character just by really examining their eyes and the detail in their eyes. And Roshiu's eyes, as of 20, like, man... He's got more lines on his eyes and his face than the rest of his fucking body, it seems like. Um, and you can see why. Like, especially now, you can see why. Like, it, it is he is constantly being asked to make decisions that are outrageous and would be terrible for anyone. And you can tell that, really, they are tearing him apart. But he feels, as, like, chief helper, that he's got to be the one to b- carry this, like you know this hurt right of of these hard decisions and like to the point where he's forcing the people who care about him to instead of challenge him on this also carry their a burden in their own comically <laughs> keen on way <laughs> i know i'm i'm taking the the spot here but if you guys had any any uh, thoughts you wanted to to uh uh sort of Attach on to what I think is the the sort of meat of this, these uh, episodes, which is not so much the deconstruction of, of Roshiu as much as it is like uh, uh, the the maybe the the warning of of like the the most logical way, and like oh the the letter of the law. Right, like it, it almost feels like not necessarily rejection of Roshi as a character, but a rejection of of the of the thought that maybe things can't get better, that we can't work a little bit harder and, and try a little bit better to to get if not the perfect result then a good result like do do you, how do you guys feel about that
2: no i think that's i think that's exactly right is that um that making hard decisions and sort of creating uh you know structural I, you know sometimes where comes across to me like that sort of that sort of coder who ends up churning forever trying to make the perfect uh structural framework to make a system work when really sometimes you just have to make things work you know sometimes you really need to be Chief O'Brien you know and instead of sort of churning forever to make uh, make hard decisions uh, and so I, I think I'm you know I I think what you're saying follows through
1: Stephen yeah I completely agree I'm gonna follow up with something I said last week too that I think Ro- Roshu could be a much more effective leader if he still had some of the idealism the belief that you can do the impossible. That Simone still harbors, and some of Simone's comrades still harbor.
0: I think that the especially episode eighteen makes a solid argument that what Roshi brings to the table is absolutely necessary. That that not that Roshi is leading us down the wrong path, as much as that Roshi, in his nature, to or as we reveal in twenty, in it his it is need to be right about this, because of the like. The way he's been scared about this this prophecy for as long as he has—that's something that maybe has been underemphasized in this epi- in these series of episodes. That maybe I wish we 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 were on a little bit more, which is how much this prophecy has consumed him. Obviously, mm-hmm. right like and and it's easy to see why because of the the uh, the arc of his life right from how we met him to how the daigaran brigade treats him to the the way he heard this prophecy in the final battle with lord genome to now we can see this how we got here it is it is i think my favorite part about this arc and why i think the emotional struggle that it is is worth doing is because it's I think they've they've done the homework to get here to to land this character in this place and and it not feel like like I don't feel about Roshi that I feel about Keenan that I feel Keenan is is assassinated for Roshi's sake in a way that is feels unnecessary right like she is painted very much as someone who is like supportive but not
2: uh uh discerning <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah is is that fair naive mm. maybe potentially yeah um, i think that might be yeah because that's the problem is I, it just i feel like we're we're scrambling to make sense of it right like look right because you know i mentioned before the idea of a surprise revelation but if we were to express in some way that that keenan had just become blinded by something right or, or naive or something you know that would also just do so much to alleviate this idea that it's a uh, character assassination
1: yeah we need more context right. it,
0: the, the other angle to it, I, and, and uh, after this, I'm, I will move on from Roshiu. The other angle I think they're they're almost playing with is that that like with support, with supportive people, like any sort of like charismatic figure can become powerful, and and how that is that can be that can have different results, right? But it feels half baked. It doesn't feel like that's the point they're getting at, right? Because this is because Roshiu has always been singing this song right this song of like let's take let's let's be cautious let's let's take the whole picture before we act you know let's let's make sure we we do it with the minimum amount of like casualties you know and and i'm not saying that with disdain i'm saying that that, that's consistent right um would you guys agree with that that he has been yeah well built in this regard i just think back to the scene Um, in the
1: bathhouse when he's doing the sleuthing
0: right exactly um it is. It is just not really something that that it feels like they're they're really digging into, right? Which is that like we we do see that that what's his Gumby, G- gu- gullible Goober. I have it
1: written down somewhere. G- yeah, Gimble.
0: Yeah, Gimble. I think it is Gimble. Um, we see that Gimble and and his and his ilk are not like you know. We see them as. I think the show paints them as like. Fanatical, right? They they don't they do not seem like they're within their reason as much as they're on following a cult of personality, and and I'm not saying that to say that this makes Roshi evil as much as the the show is using this text to tell us something, right? Which is that maybe we shouldn't trust this side, right? Even though. In, in in episodes they make good arguments right this is something that I, I like and dislike about the approach because I do think it creates an emotional dissonance that is effective but I also think that you know it, there's it's almost a shame that the show has to show its or rather the text has to show its hands so explicitly in these terms right like I wish that that it was treating Roshi a little bit more fairly in this regard uh, in his, on the strength of his argument being correct in certain areas, right? I think, I think uh, Stephen Hero is correct in particular to call out like the the death penalty is way out out there. Like that's definitely overkill insofar as like like prison for life is plenty.
2: <laughs> like, I also think it's really it's, interesting how many characters, uh, like I, I think Diaco is the one in particular who vocalizes this, are like eh, he probably doesn't really mean it, you know. It's just strategy.
0: I I think it's it's very like important to bring that up. That the people who know Roshi personally, especially the the adults that were who who were there to watch him grow, do trust that he doesn't mean harm to Simone. Um, I I will say that there is an angle that I sort of appreciate, that I sort of like, where they underestimate him. You know um i i think that there is especially for uh uh you know adults who tend to look fondly on certain people i think there can be a tendency to overlook their capacity to do harm right Uh um but moving on from roshi do you know who else kind of gets a cool highlight in this episode
2: i mean well i love it that he's like the embodiment of of i don't know that he becomes the brigade in this episode i feel like and it's really fun it's just you're it's the turnaround. Like we 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 start hitting the turnaround point, and we get to do it with a character who I feel like we haven't always been in the driver's seat with, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but uh, the but he's coming with some Stephen Hero atmospheric, you know, wandering through the streets. We're in, we're, I mean, we're in a, a Roger Rabbit horror car, unfortunately for <laughs> it. But I thought I thought of you, Stephen Hero. When we saw the, 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 you know, the crowds getting ready for the Art Mm Gurren, like, it very much reminded me, that Urban Decay very much reminded me of Pat Labor. Yeah. Uh, The movies, anyhow.
1: This whole movie, um, this whole episode, I should say, it felt like a great, like, parts of it felt like a really good kaiju film. or hitting some really significant kaiju beats. I thought the spectacle of this episode is fantastic. I was in almost for that. The sense of scale when the Mugan is fighting the the Gamen is fantastic.
0: Yes, Um, but yes, it's Keaton who um, really starts to get into his own as a character, uh, but mostly because he is driven to action because of the revelations of the last episode, right? Keenan's support not being, like, mind control, I think, is is really shocking to him, and we see him try, in good faith, to reach out to her, right? He's like, we see him, you know, approach like, hey, uh, you know, the, the other time was shitty, and, you know, I just wanted to, hey... What's what's with all the am- aminols? This looks like an arc. I, I oh, oh. <laughs> it, you can see the moment where it makes sense to him. um And we get some like detective keton yeah. in this episode. Well, we, is, he
2: does do a Batman disappear. When yeah, keton is like you- oh, you're gone.
0: <laughs> he does a Batman disappear. He's like looking outside a dilapidated taxicab window in the like. Like, detective-ass outfit, he's doing some sleuthing, um, and later, uh, not only do we get Kiton doing stuff in a way that feels like he is carrying on, I put it in my notes, actually, that he, he sort of represents the, like, that that he hasn't forgotten right there's a conversation with with ketan and Diaka where Diaka is really expressing like hey right now all i give a shit about is my my baby girl and how she's going to survive and that's all i'm thinking about i couldn't give a shit about dead men from the past which is a great line and and, and it very much doesn't it's great and and it and it's a little unfortunate how it isn't Dyaka character assassination in the way that Keenan has been you know sort of like completely disrupted because his what we're seeing there is not a callous disregard for important people who he who he used to know it, what it is is a a sort of expression of how th- this is a reprioritization for him right and it's a fair one I, I don't think anyone blames him for this
1: right no certainly not he can't be he's concerned uh, about the future he can't be haunted by the ghosts of the past
0: right exactly um but the other thing that i think this that comes out from this is that ketan ketan is is what what stanley would call a true believer and has never really let go of the the not the past not this like not not glory days that's not really what it is what it is is that he there is a an ideological core that that the daigurindan represented that the show definitely knew about and acknowledged but wasn't really interested in engaging with on a like Let's name this thing. You know, in, in fantasy, there is a an idea that that when you when you name a thing, this is a, a Ursula K. Le Guin thing, especially mm. that when you know the thing's true name, that you understand its essence, and therefore you can control it, right? Um, and I think that 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 what Keeton is hitting on here, it, it is not like a new competence. That's something that Keeton is developing here in the moment. What is what's happening is almost like he is he is realizing his his purpose for living in this moment and it, it it's carrying this banner right Whoa. and and it's something that the digrandon do naturally that it's just their natural ex- state right which is why they're so miserable in this current existence right it, is that they they can't they can it's very metal gear of them they can only live as the digrandon right and and they're really only it, it, not useful that's not what i mean but they're at their best in these impossible scenarios where nothing they, they can do should work uh, and and now when it's coming to that Keaton is starting to remember like oh yeah you know how we, we beat stuff before by fucking trying <laughs> and and trying with a smile right even when things got bad we, we, we fucking tried and, and so he takes a shotgun and he's like here are spiral bullets how did I get them fuck it it doesn't matter such a great That's, scene like, here's a fucking awesome shot of me walking into an alleyway to defend my family um, because Keaton is, is taking over and not only that he is like the ambassador of Tengen Toppa the Gon, the show almost. It's like, yeah, it's coming back. Here it is. He's got a shotgun. He look at fucking Keaton. He owns right He's now. got a gun. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a, a clip from Resident Evil one where someone says, I got a shotgun. I just don't know who says it. It sounds like Barry. Yeah. I was gonna, the Barry is the person that came to mind. I just don't know if it's Barry. Barry has all the best lines for Resident Evil One, IMO. Um, maybe Wesker actually. Wesker has a number of extremely fucking good. But the best Wesker is Code Veronica Wesker. Anyway, um, uh, this does reveal the true MVPs of of nineteen and twenty. Uh, the Mecha Nation's favorite Maken and Leita show up in in the last second as the the Dayaka family. Uh, uh, escape to the art Gurren, revealing that the fucking government schmucks <laughs> 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 dropped the, the gunman off to be scrapped at, you know, and in a way it makes sense, the the closest place in town, and I guess nobody looked up that it was run by former Dai members, the, and not only former Dai members, but, like, the only folks who definitely would not scrap it. And not only that, but they've been developing weaponry and just keeping some. Like straight up SWAT cats, the radical squadron style. They've just got a bunch of spare that they've kept. Makin and Leite show up with the the gonmen and the gonmen returning. Uh, PMC. I want to ask you direct because I think you, uh, Steven Hero. I know you're sitting here like like you know, hand on over your heart. Like thank goodness my my friends are have returned. <laughs> but um uh Steven, or PMC, you you've been a a gonmen. Uh, uh, Poo pooer, not, not necessarily someone who is down on these designs individually as much as it's just like eh. The the idea of the face as a core mechanic, it just doesn't appeal to me. There are ones that I am sort of into, but I'm not. I don't like this as a general rule. Uh, do, did you have a different reaction to seeing them come back to to having them return in this in this hour of need? Do you feel like this changed how you felt, but not or not really?
2: I've got a scorching complaint for y'all <laughs> about oh, no, about this fuck. whole thing. All no right. shit. So here's the thing that I'm trying to resolve in my brain as a matter of like having a cohesive story that I, I store in my skull, because um, this the way this goof plays out. It feels like this is this is a classic. You know the government left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Like this is just right. oversight and just a comic goof. And like, of course they would hand it off to people who know exactly what to do with these things, right? It's like, it's like a bunch of like you know former terrorists retired, and you're going to hire them to dispose of your nuclear waste or something. Like clearly, sure, just a dumb dumb decision. The thing that I'm really struggled with is that in these two episodes, there's a uh, there's an another sort of arc that's going on, which is. That the, the grap the rolls finally become effective anti spiral weapons. They are completely ineffective at the beginning of nineteen. By the end of twenty, they are now one shot, one kill. They got it on everybody. And one of the things that really is is strange to me is Lord Genome is like, oh well, of course the gunmen are effective. They were originally made as anti spiral weapons, right? And the way that comes across is really strange because on one hand, it feels like you idiots, you learned the wrong lessons from studying Goran Lagan, from studying... Well, I it's not clear if they actually studied the Gaman. They felt the Gaman were obsolete, you know, whether that was over-reliance on Goran Lagan or whatever might be the case. It this, There's just a lot of dissonance in terms of the, the lines around the technology and what matters in technology and who's learning those lessons because, you know, we've talked a little bit about... The attitude towards the government versus in roshu versus maybe the attitude towards liron but liron is very much a, a part of that I, I kind of consider liron to be you know the, the chief technologist of, of roshu's regime and so mm-hmm. it's strange to me that it feels like an indictment of liron to say like when you made the gra pearls you understood nothing <laughs> or, or at least well i don't, I don't really say nothing but but it feels that way and of course you could make up reasons why that's why that is that you know the, whatever it is about the godmen or specifically girl on that maybe doesn't jump out you you can come up with ways to to rationalize that but it still felt very strange to be like ah nah, the gunmen are great i mean it's exciting to see them flying and like they've never been before i think it matches the jubilant mood i think seeing Catan walk down that alley and then the old mechs show up and suddenly you're just flying through the sky with your old mech and I'm like yeah it's a jubilant mood like I'm there for the mood but at the same time my brain is like what is what is technology do you know what technology is? So there are two things I want to I want to respond to
0: mm-hmm. when it comes to that. The the first thing is the the thing I brought up earlier is, is the emotional thing that that that's happening in in the line you're talking about, which is Lord know being like, "Well, of course the gunmen are good. The, the gunmen, the reason they exist is because they were anti spiral weaponry in the first place. So their their purpose is to fight anti spiral weapons. Uh, what what that's demonstrating is the the folly of of Roshi's whole approach, and not that because he destroyed the Gonman at all what it is is that because the the uh, uh, rejection of the Gonman is more about rejecting the Diger and Don as a group and not because it's about rejecting the actual Lord mm-hmm. Genome technology because remember they're in a Lord Genome ship right, and right. they are talking to a Lord Genome computer like that's the thing that that is highlighted by the destruction of the gonmen. Now what we learned there is that Leita and Makin didn't tell Leron that they didn't destroy them because we can that's the thing that's the missing key there is that we have to assume they told the government that they totally did destroy right, them, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So Leron would be privy to that and be like, "Well, that sucks." Oh well. <laughs> you know, like um but and I and I think that's why you 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 end up with cuz that's the important emotional goal of that line is that there's it is a a uh another like i would compare Roshiu in this scene almost to like Macbeth, right at, at, at the, like the later stages of the play where it think like every single thing that could go wrong with with what's happening is going wrong and it's directly his fault right like and and there's a reason for it we're going to get to an emotional point to you know at this point uh Simone, what should be ultimate despair for Simone is going to end up being ultimate despair for Roshu. Um And, you know, I- I'm not saying that as a, like, Roshiu's gonna get his, everyone pay attention. I'm saying that as um, it is the emotional burden of those who are concerned with consequences to sometimes be the ones that have to, like, deal with that, right? Like, people who actually have the emotional intelligence to... What's the term I'm looking for? Compute? Mm-hmm. you know yeah. that that sort of like burden um carry it heavier than people who don't and I'm not saying that as like smart people are better than dumb people that's not at all what I'm saying what I'm saying is that that there is a truth to having a bit more connection to an emotional side and things that are bad hitting you harder there's a truth to that right um and what, I think we'll be surprised to see the the, the real consequences of what Roshiu has been doing to himself emotionally um but enough of that shit, because uh, as the Ark Gurren is, is is launching and the Dai Brigade are doing their shit uh, and defending the, the forces of, of everyone else against the, the anti-spirals, uh, Simone and Burrell are still in jail. <laughs> um, but Simone overhears the, the Ark Gurren launching, and because he is the ultimate boy... Uh, his his only real thought is like, you know what, you fucking did it, Roshi, it's working. Your your plan's working. I don't really love being in jail, but I'm, I'm glad that my friends are probably going to survive this. You know, I, I kind of... Something that can be said about Simone, and I think that, you know, we see how this breaks when Roshi was being directly cruel to him, like the comment about Kamina. Um, speaking of Kamina, uh, Viral also pushes the Kamina button during the cockfight. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I refer to it that way in reference to a Dragon Ball abridged joke where, uh, uh, people will push the Goku button on Vegeta and they always say you shouldn't have did that. Uh, but you shouldn't have did that with the Kamina button. It's usually not, um, uh, the show is very good about how it deploys Kamina as a, not only a character that we, we used to relate to, but like n- Kamina as a, a thing that is invoked has, has been like an effective sort of emotional bomb that the text can just kind of throw at us for a little while. Now I I'm thinking of, do you remember in uh, episode eight before they get uh, caught in the very obvious trap of the, the, the girl village uh, when uh, Keaton says that Kamino would do this in a, in a heartbeat. And then there's the, everyone being like, Oh, because they're, they're not quite over it yet. Simone hasn't done his thing yet where, which gives everyone permission to be over it. Um, uh, that that sort of beat keeps going. And even when Varal does it here, it he does it in reference to something we the audience are have been completely privy to, which like even unarmed Kamino would, would you know would not say no to fighting Verale in the same way. And we see that Simone I don't know, Simone can do some Simone foo. Um what I really want to know, we saw in nineteen I'm I'm sorry to have only brought this up now, we saw in nineteen that even Buta was fucking shackled. They have little shackles for Buta, and I'm like, so wait, is Buta in his own, like, tiny prison? That's miserable. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll see that Simone and Veral in prison, Veral's like, well, this sucks. I didn't want to see the end of the world here like this with you. This is some bullshit. Simone's like, meh. And then Nia's like, oh yeah? <laughs> you dummy? What about ultimate despair, you fuck? Because they're going to go in space and they're going to get fucked. Um and uh Yoko is like, shut up. Uh I'm here now. Get get ready for a Yoko break, everybody. Uh and that's the end of the episode. We see that Yoko's return. She she's very mean to Nia. He calls her a boring bitch. Yeah. <laughs> which is fucking good. I really love that. It's very Yoko of her. Um but the, we're seeing now that a different sort of emotional energy running through the episode, and, and Kitan was kind of the ambassador of it in a way that I think is, is refreshing and cool, right? Kitan I think, is underserved by the text a bit because he was originally meant to be like Diet Pepsi Kamina a little bit. Um. Uh. and now he is uh, uh, as uh, like someone who was originally cast that way he gets to find a new purpose in being the like hey you remember this you remember the real thing that matters and, and what we fought for like that that's still a thing that matters and is still worthwhile
1: yeah Keitan um, is definitely my MVP next to uh, Machin and Leyte there's one line there's one hilarious crosstalk when the shit's really hitting the fan Machin arrives and then he has that choice line that like that stinger, sorry, it took a long time to find a sitter for the kids. And then Kitan, about to, you know, die, says, that gives me a good idea what your family life is like. It's fantastic. That little bit oh, between yeah. them.
0: It's definitely like a um. – there is there is a – gosh, I, I shouldn't reference this because I don't know remember it in its entirety because it's been a long time since I've actually read it. But there's a bit like that in the actual – Uh, nope, I'm not going to do it because I'm not brave enough. I'll have to look it up later. I was going to reference the three musketeers, but PMC curses me when I reference the three musketeers. Right, because you have to name each each of the musketeers
2: every time you do it. See,
0: this is why I wasn't going to do it, because he was going (laughs) to ask me to name them, and I'm like, fuck, I cannot name them right this second, so I'm not going to do this. Um, But in any case, there's a return to form, and that return to form is emotionally satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what's being deployed here. Um the what's next coming next is really fun though. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about, there is a line. I'm going to bring it up here because I, I loved it. we don't normally talk about the endings or the, uh, the, uh, previews, but I wanted to do both in, in this moment here because I failed to do it last time. Uh, the, the ending, uh, credit sequence has a new song from season one, uh, Mina, no peace. And Mina, no peace is at least for me, can't speak to everybody else on this podcast, but at least for me, your your sort of release from the emotional burden of the episode. It's like, hey, this is still a fun cartoon. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Me no, no Piece is the best. I love Mino no Peace. This is a for me. This is kind of a go to like feel good song. If I'm if I'm kind of feeling mopey, mm-hmm. this is one of those where I'm like, okay, this will put me on the right mental track. Uh, it's just so up. It's such a a, a like optimistic poppy sort of uh feel good song it reminds me of like a like a cheesy late 60s sort of uh uh like swinging sort of song like it is uh uh, it really the first time i was watching this show i I, at the that particular moment i did not really have the emotional capacity to really deal well with the quote unquote like bad shit happening right and me no No peace was like my only way forward (laughs) personally how do you guys feel about this song
1: like you said earlier, it can definitely be like a soothing bomb, especially after a potentially traumatic episode. It doesn't stick in my mind as some of the other OPs and ending themes we've listened to throughout our time together through this podcast, but it's definitely not unmemorable.
2: I don't know. I you know, it, I always do this all the time with, with the music that we encounter, is that it it usually just rolls off me at the at the start and I I mean I noticed it was different. I noticed, you know, the animation for for the outro was was uh was different. Um but I don't, you know, I don't, really? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me. And, and I think, you know, when it comes to songs making a strong first impression, my metric is always timbre. <laughs> yeah, it's Colors. Colors is the only song. They really, and, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and replace all anime, both the intro and the outro with Colors. And that's all it's going to be from now on. Colors by Flow. Um... <laughs> no it's but, it's yeah. timbre because and so i think maybe what i would say is that the biggest issue is that um i think for reasons you've pointed out is that it very much sounds like an older song and so i th- think the timbre is not of the sort that would grab me immediately but you know as always i wasn't a big fan of colors at first and then now i think it's maybe the best song that we've listened to on this podcast
0: <laughs> it's definitely tough I love too no peace me peace a piece it, it's all right um, i fucking love that song but the real thing i wanted to highlight is in the preview for episode 21 uh one of the 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 opening lines is the 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 thing that he loved was a future with an open sky um and and the idea that the and what what the next episode is going to be is a, is a sort of like what yoko has been up to in the meantime um and i and i love that idea that That To her, it was like, you know, the best way I can celebrate is is to live the life that I I think that we would have lived. I love that idea. Uh, It's not an angle I've really uh, uh, approached the upcoming episode with, and it's something that I I would love to, uh, uh, that I will uh, employ the next time we watch it. And it's something I want to discuss when we return for our next uh, discussion. Oh, fuck! I ran out of, I ran out of the ability to speak or for our next meeting, for the next time we speak about Colonel Gunn. I don't know. I just thought it was cool. I thought It was cool writing. Any other uh, closing thoughts on episode twenty?
1: Uh, so I'm excited to see where we go from here. Naturally, I can't remember like how Simone mm-hmm. gets out of jail, so I'm almost I, as like a first time viewer. Yeah, I think
2: it's 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 a really fun way to to do the, the turnaround. I, I think comparing this to our turnaround from the previous uh, sort of down arc uh, in the first half of the show this feels because i think so many more people are involved maybe because i think that first time around you were really really focused on simone and other people played a role i mean certainly Nia and yoko and everyone were important but i think overwhelmingly the emphasis there was on simone whereas i i feel like this time around uh, we're really focused on the brigade turning around, as opposed to maybe, not, and, you know, not that the brigade didn't also need to turn around the first half, but I, by visiting everyone, by visiting Roshu and Kiton, sort of in their own context, I think we're focusing brigade-wide in a way that we weren't before.
0: Yeah, I guess that, that about sums it up for nineteen and twenty. We got some some real fun ones coming up next. Twenty-one is a fun break, and twenty-two is the start of what I think will become clear at the space opera era of the show. Very excited for that stuff. But with that, I was one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox. Stephen Hero.
2: BMC Trilogy.
0: And you can catch us next time where I guess we're going back to school. Oh wait, Steven Hero's a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good. Great. Good. Great. I'm into it. I'm ready. I'm there. All right. Let's do this. I'm going to do it. Ready? Here we